the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third Hello and welcome to episode two of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam. (laughs) From Third Window Films. And yeah, on this podcast, it's basically a celebration of all Third Window Films. Um, Yeah, from the perspective of the fan being me and the man being Adam Terrell. Yo, yo, yo. How are you doing, Adam? I'm 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 knackered uh, as we just spoke. I just played football for five and a half hours, uh, so (laughs) (laughs) wasted a lot of my day when I could have been doing a little more work. But uh, it it was needed balance. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think you're a maniac, but at the same time, you know, all work and no play. You know what that does. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So it's been a while since we've we've last spoken, actually, because we obviously we did the first episode which was so much fun and we've had some really great feedback that, you know, Twitter, especially that people seem to really like it. So I'm really excited for this, but it's been ages since we've actually spoken. Um, yeah, we sort of, uh, uh, we kept on putting it off, I guess. Uh, we've been a bit busy, you and I with different film festivals, but I, I would have liked to have done it sooner, but uh, we did it in the end with only, only one month after. Well, I was going to say, so we set ourselves the task of doing one of these a month because, you know, we don't want to stretch ourselves and we haven't even been able to manage that, really. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I've been, um, I mean, I'm right in the middle of it now, actually, at the Cambridge Film Festival, um, which I work on the marketing team for that. So it's been really fun kind of getting it back into cinemas again after two years off um, because of the pandemic. And we have a, a Japan Cuts stream this year, which has been really interesting. So um, I've been able to see um, Ryosuke Hamaguchi's Drive My Car, which is obviously based on the short story by Haruki Murakami. And I don't know if you've been able to see that yet. You know what? Um, in many instances of those sort of major films, I don't actually watch them so quickly or, or even at all sometimes because they're not type of films that I'll be handling myself so I usually think like it's well I don't want to say it's a waste of time but whenever I watch a Japanese film it feels like work and if it's not a film that I will have any work related to I usually don't end up watching it so 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 I should watch Drive My Car and I've seen all of his previous films but uh you beat me to the punch so how how was it? I, I honestly I absolutely loved it it was like a profoundly moving experience um I will say however it was my fifth film that day and it started at 8 p.m. and it's three hours long. So if you can imagine seeing four films, then having a beer and then going in to see that for three hours, it was quite an experience. I was a bit emotional. Um, <laughs> but honestly, for, for me right now, it's my film of the year. Having said that, I'm going to see his other film, um, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Um, I'm going to see that tonight. And I've heard from many people that it's even better than uh, Drive My Car. So I'm really excited for that one. It's shorter, I believe, isn't it? Uh, quite sh- oh, much shorter. Like two yeah. hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's an anthology, so it's three sort of short stories, all directed by uh, uh, Hamaguchi, and kind of yeah, all, all strung together. But it sounds amazing, and your boy Key's in it as well, so that's going to be cool. He is, and that's why I, I should see it. Um, but but Hamaguchi actually, uh, a lot of his previous films, uh, including for actually like uh, Touching the Skin of Irius, I, br- I brought to England uh, and played at a Raindance Film Festival way, way, way a long time ago. And actually had the, the actor from the film do a talk at the film festival. Uh, but uh, it was before he got uh, 
as famous as he is now. So it wasn't really well attended, unfortunately. But uh, he's been making story of your life, films. right? <laughs> yes, um, always oh, a bit man. too ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, again, I, ashamedly, I'm. It's, it's a blind spot for me. So Drive My Car was my first film of his. I haven't. Even, I know Asako One and Two is quite a famous one. Yeah, I don't really like uh, that, actually, to be honest. I think of all of his films, it's it's the worst. Um, I mean, it's not a, that bad of a film, but I just don't think it's 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 that good compared to all of his others. Uh, like, obviously, Happy Hour is fantastic, but you need a whole day. Uh, yeah, six to, hours, to, right? Yeah, it does go very, very, quick, very quickly, but but not but it's still six hours. Sure. Well, like I said, I mean, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole with him now next, and <laughs> I love it. But yeah, Will of Fortune and Fantasy tonight, I'm really excited for. Um, I also saw a film, uh, it's, it's been out for a long time in Japan, I think. It's uh, Naoki Ogigami's Close Knit. Yeah, yeah, but actually that film is more popular, has been more popular overseas than it has been uh, in Japan, unfortunately. Um, I'm oh, not right. sure why, but uh, it did, it played, uh, it's at um, like Udine Fahari's Film Festival and won the Audience Award there, and it played a lot of like, uh, especially the Japan Foundation Film Festivals worldwide. It was a lot more of a hit uh, there than it was here, but but um, she has a new film that's... Um, Riverside, uh, Riverside Murikoko, something like that. Uh, you have to, I apologize, but uh, it, it just played Tokyo Film Festival, I believe, uh, uh, last week, and it should be playing um, uh, in Japan soon as well, and probably at, at film festivals overseas soon as well. Amazing. Well, yeah, I thought it was quite strange because I thought it was a new film, and as it, uh, they do a little introduction before the film at the, the festival, and they said this film from 2017, and I thought that's that's strange that it's coming here just now, but. Um... Obviously, but I think it actually. One. I think it actually played in in England at the Japan Foundation Touring Film Festival a few years ago, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong, but uh, yeah, we, you can look that up Amazing. afterwards. Well, mm. you know, um, usually I'm involved with submissions for the festival as well, but this year has just been too hectic for me, so I backed away <laughs> from that. So I don't actually know how this one came about. Um, the only other one I'll mention is technically not a Japanese film, um, but it's very much about Japan. It's um, Allegra Pacheco's Salary Man. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's a documentary. No, I, I saw you put it on your uh, now watching on Twitter, and actually, I thought, oh, it sounds interesting because Japanese salaryman uh, culture is incredibly interesting. It's so fascinating. She's basically um, she's from South America, and she's travelled the world. You know, New York and Paris and London, and she ended up in Tokyo. And she said on her first night, she was just walking around, and there was all these businessmen in suits just asleep in a stupor on the street. And every night from then, she kept seeing it. And she still thought, if this happened in any other country I've been to, they would wake up with everything stolen, you know, and <laughs> be in real danger. But here it's so common and so accepted that people just do it all over the place. And so she did this whole documentary about it. And she interviews some people. Uh, they also look into the kind of hostess side of things as well, where these salary men, they work so hard and earn all this money, but then they don't have time to have relationships. So they pay women to be with them. And it's really fascinating documentary. I mean, Japan is is very strange, very strange culture. And uh, I mean, that is so normal. That is just, yeah, normal life here. But yes, I guess to anybody else, it, it would seem a little strange. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I really vibe with it. And I've seen loads more as well, you know, like the new uh, Celine Sciamma film and stuff like that. But I mean, in terms of Japanese output, that's the main ones. And it's been great. Um, you've been to a bunch of festivals too, though, right? I've been as in uh, Tokyo Film Festival was a couple of weeks ago and I couldn't actually attend it myself in person. So I just watched uh, all of the films online. But uh, 
to be honest, I think I forgot everything I watched already. So it couldn't <laughs> have been it couldn't have been that that good. Uh, I do, actually, I, there was one film called Somebody's Flowers, which was pretty decent as a very very small film. But otherwise, it wasn't a very good selection. Um, and then Tokyo Filmex was also running at the same time, and uh, I caught a few films, including um, uh, Yamauchi Kenji, who made a, f- a few films uh, in the past called At the Terrace, and uh, the other one, its name is completely uh, forgotten. But uh, his new film Dawning on Us was was uh, quite interesting. I- I'm not sure if it'll get out there. Uh, maybe uh, some Japanese film festivals here and there. Uh, otherwise, there's a film festival called Tama Film Festival, which is a very 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 independent films uh, and very local. Uh, quite a uh, sort of I don't know if you, you it's not technically Tokyo, but it's it's very close to Tokyo in a in a in a film in a center like a shopping mall, and they have mm-hmm. a, a theater there, and they do these like uh, proper proper independent uh, films. And I I went about ten in the morning and I watched films just not one after another till about eight p.m. and uh, and uh, I forgot most of them to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem, isn't it? Like. Yeah, so you you see four or five films in a day, and unless you're writing everything down the second you leave the theatre, you're not going to remember it all. It's hard. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I think that if if a film hasn't made me remember it well enough, then mm. uh, it's. I mean, I can't say it's some. It's something that other people will remember as much. And I mean, maybe that's being critical of me, but at the same time, if it doesn't have an impact in one way or another to myself, then maybe it's not that interesting. And I mean. Most Japanese films, and especially independent Japanese films, are not that interesting. Uh, I mean, I right. talk about this quite often, but uh, these films don't really get out there. And I think uh, if you were living in Japan and watching the dozens of films that were released every week, uh, I'm sure you'd probably have a similar uh, idea or, or thoughts uh, about uh, independent Japanese cinema. Yeah, I do find that, you know, I mean, I go back and watch all these directors' filmographies, but really I know from critical response which ones are going to be you know really well received so i'm only watching these films that have got a an audience already so yeah you're right seeing ones that haven't seen found their audience yet nine out of ten are probably complete shit <laughs> <laughs> well that could be that's the same for for all films out there in all countries i i except you know japan makes a lot more of them than anyone else so uh, <laughs> right. that's that's the difference well, look, it's good to see you again. True to form, we're already 10 minutes in and we haven't spoken a single thing about what we're here to speak about, but I think that's going to be a common theme for our podcast. So yes, so our first episode was all about um, uh, the, work, the work of Toshiaki Toyoda, and that was fantastic. I love talking about him, but this week we're doing something a diff, little bit different, right? So we're going to do uh, micro-budget hits so it was your idea to do this. I really like it. Obviously, your big release this month um, is Yunta Yamaguchi's Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which was a tiny budget film that is already selling gangbusters, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I had put a lot of work into getting it. It's like One Cut of the Dead. I, I brought it to international film festivals first and uh, sold it to a lot of countries. So I, I did... Uh, know that it was going to be popular but uh, sometimes these films even like one cut of the dead did take a lot more time to get out there and yet uh, beyond has been on was on amazon's uh, world cinema number charts at number one for a whole week so i was uh quite uh well happy because it's uh, yeah, it's been amazing. a year of work yeah of course but you did all the work with one cut of the dead now people know that so if anyone anyone says this is like the new one cut of the dead instantly you've got people's attention because that film just hit so many people hard yeah, and it is very similar. And also, I mean, one of the main sales points of this is that the director of One Cut of the Dead, Shinichiro Ueda, has 
given us a quote uh, to use for the promotion of this film because he loves this film as well. So uh, I think, yeah, I mean, for people that do like One of the Color of the Dead, you're going to like this film. Um, I mean, I, I'm saying that, not just my, I'm saying that, but a lot of people are saying that. So it's it's uh, it hopefully it gets out there like one card. Totally. I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, loads of micro budget hits. So we'll, we'll talk about One Cut of the Dead. Uh, we've also got um, uh, Melancholic by um, Seji Tanaka, which I believe is that a debut. Yes, it's a debut. A lot of the films that we will be talking about are debuts as Beyond and, and One Cut were as well. Of course. Yes, I suppose, because they come from theatre and um, kind of workshop troops, don't they? Uh, a lot of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is a, um, a, a strange segue as well, but maybe we'll talk about this later. But Melancholic, the main actor of that, uh, Minagawa Yoji, is the lead actor of the new Ueda Shinichiro film, uh, Pop Run, which uh, is out early next year. So uh, I've, I've done that tie up a little too quickly, probably in, in this stage of this episode, but uh, just Amazing. so that people know that. No, that's that's so cool. So yeah, let's just get into it then. So um, beyond the infinite two minutes, I saw this um, via the Nippon Connection. And I had to put a VPN in to, to watch it, obviously, because I think that's that's locked to Japan. Uh, no, to Germany, isn't it? Um, but I watched it on my lunch break um, at Teamworks. It's only about 70 or, or 80 minutes or something. It's quite a short film. And, you know, when people say it blows your mind, it gets said quite a lot. But this, this one literally blew my mind. I had to sit there afterwards and I was like, how the hell did they pull that off? Like... It just it just boggled my mind how some of it was done. It was just so creative and inventive and energetic. And yeah, I've seen it twice more since now, and I just love it to bits. So I guess the first thing we should talk about really is like, yeah, your involvement with it, how you found the film, and yeah, how you've managed to get it over, over here to us. Well, like one cut, I mean, first I, I was able to catch that film. Actually, in One Cut of the Dead, I I was able to watch it way before it was uh, that film was released, so before it became a hit in Japan. But actually, with Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, I heard about it when it was after it was released in Japan and when it was starting to become a hit. Uh, it was actually made by a um, a cinema in Shimokitazawa called Tollywood, and this cinema is I don't know if you could call it you could call it a cinema because it's only about forty seats. It's a very 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 small. Cinema next screening to an English room. <laughs> screening room, yes, but it is yeah. a cinema, and it's next to an English pub in 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 Shimokitazawa. And I I I got always like that cinema because they they show a lot of um retrospectives. Uh, and I showed my films there, Law Life Love and Love and Other Cults, and uh, it's the the owners are are very nice, and they produced this film in conjunction with a uh, a company called Europe Kikaku, who are a theater troupe based in Kyoto, and the Europe. And Europe Kikaku actually made a film many years ago called, uh, it was actually a play first that, that they did, and then it was adapted into a film called Summertime Machine Blues. Yes, which um, was written by Makoto Ueda, right? Who's the same writer? Yeah, yes, he's for, he's the head of this Europe Kikaku and the person who he wrote the original plays for, for, for Summertime Machine Blues and then the screenplay to make, which made into the film. And he actually made many years ago, a short film called Howling, which was the original concept behind Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Which you've included on the disc, which is really cool. Which I was able to include on the disc, that no, and no other countries are allowed to uh, It was to include. I think it was just, uh, they let me do it because I had done a lot of work for their film. But um, this uh, this uh, Tollywood Cinemas, the owner of that, uh, Otsuki is his name, he had speaking to Europe Kikaku about making a film as part of 
a film festival that they do every year at the cinema in Hollywood called the Shimokitozawa Film Festival. And he suggested to them to adapt that, that film Howling into a, a feature length film. Amazing. And it came out so well. I mean, um, some of the other things he's written, um, one of the ones that I noticed that just instantly just jumped out at me was the night is short walk on girl, the, uh, Masaki Yuasa anime. Have you seen that one? I don't. I don't particularly watch anime, so I don't think I. I, oh, watched, I know I it was really. I know everyone loved it, uh, and it was really. Popular. I didn't know that about you. Okay, you're not an anime guy. I'm not. I hate manga and anime, and uh, yeah, I'm. I'm very anti-westerner in Japan. I'm not the usual one in that respect who really likes anime and manga. So, wow. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. We'll we'll move swiftly on from that. But yeah, no, he's, he's obviously a fascinating writer and he obviously uh, is very interested in uh, time and time travel. Like he's, it goes through all of his films, mostly. It seems like he has like a, a connection to that somehow. Yeah, all the Europe Kikaku uh, members really like Back to the Future and they love time travel films a lot. Uh, so I think, yeah, the, even the next day they'd be talking about making a follow-up to this film and another time travel film apparently. But but yeah, Summertime Machine Blues is a fantastic uh, time travel film as is this and the way they made this is i think even if you watch it many many times i don't think you can really get your head around how much work was put into it and and yeah. i know that the director is always trying to whenever he's uh interviewed by people he really wants them to know how much actual the the precision to the second of how they did it i mean it's 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 phenomenal absolutely so i mean i know it's just come out so there's probably quite a lot of people that haven't quite seen it yet. Hopefully everyone's bought it and they've seen it already. But um, yeah, the, the whole premise is that a guy, he works in a coffee shop. Um, he goes upstairs to his room. He lives above the coffee shop. He goes to play some guitar and sees on his Apple Mac that there's a vision, a, a video of him saying hello to himself. And he's kind of like, what the hell is going on? And he's like, I'm you in two minutes from downstairs. And then from there, he goes downstairs and the camera follows him. And suddenly he's talking to himself, watching himself play guitar in his bedroom. And that's probably the easiest part to explain, because beyond that, it gets so crazy. And um, yeah, like you said, I've seen it three times now. And I just smile from ear to ear because I'm like, the, the joy. I mean, again, it must have been so stressful to put together, like you said, because every time someone's on screen, like on a computer screen, that must be pre-recorded, right? It's pre-recorded, but it's not just, for example, if you were to, um, I mean, for people that may not have, have seen this, uh, you know, as you just said, he's uh, speaking to himself on a computer screen. So normally, if you were to just pre-record just that one conversation, then that would be it. But what they did is they actually pre-record 10 minutes of footage that on a television so there's obviously scenes in which there's there's nothing going on on the other side of the television. It's just like a, a 10 minutes of pre-recorded footage that's maxed, matched up with 10 minutes of non-stop acting on the other side of the television. So it has to match up by the second one-to-one. -one. It's not like it's, like it's in post-production. They've added the television aspect into it. it. It has to match up to the exact second of a 10 minutes thing. So that's, I think, the amazing, one amazing part of it. Unbelievable. And obviously, as we get further and further into the story, they start to come up with these ideas of like, what happens if we get two computer monitors and then that's suddenly four minutes and then we get six minutes and we can go. And I forget what the term is they use, but it's the some something paradox or something where, uh, yeah, where it just keeps going. Dros on. That's the Dros one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
and there's a great scene where it goes right into this like packet of coffee or sugar or biscuits or something and just shows the infinite thing going on and on and on. It's just so smart. And the way they use the location of going upstairs and downstairs and around, um, it's kind of mind-blowing because it all looks like it's a single shot. I don't think it actually is, is it? I think it's quite cleverly edited. Well, it's it's 10 minutes of single takes. Yeah. So it's it looks, uh, whether were you not to know that much about uh, films, it looks like the whole film is a single shot. And it's made to look like a whole te- the whole film is a single shot. But it's actually split up into 10 minutes, 10 minutes of time. And each 10 minutes is pre-recorded 10 minutes on a television running from zero to 10 minutes. And then 10 minutes of acting on the other side of the television, changing locations and matching up exactly with the television I mean, just just trying to explain it, it does sound I like that. I, mean, I don't think anybody. Uh, I don't. I've even lost what I was to, was thinking about when I was trying to explain it. So you just have to watch it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's what I've said to so many people. It's like just just watch it. I I don't know anyone that wouldn't enjoy this because again, it's funny, it's clever, it's sweet, it's surprising. And at the end, I love the ending. And I'm not going to do the ending because obviously, like I said, no spoilers. But the ending for such a a crazily energetic film. The ending is really kind of low key and calm. Do you know the bit I'm talking about? I do, but to be very frank, I wasn't so uh, enthused about the ending. And when I f- first watched it, uh, I was like, "Oh, it's fantastic!" But the ending could have been a little bit uh, better. But then again, you know, for a film that was done with no budget and and uh, in such a such restrictions uh, i think you know it's 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 a decent ending but it it's not my favorite ending to be honest considering right. how great the film is beforehand i kind of thought that it was a, a chance for the audience to take a breath because up until that point it's just a relentless barreling forward of new ideas and you know like i said it's hard to keep up that first time i genuinely was a bit kind of like my my eyes were spinning from like everything i just seen so when you get that final scene i was like and breathe we're fine we're here so it's cute yeah cute that's <laughs> a good way of putting it um but yeah this is one like awards all over the place right like um fantasia film fest nippon connection uh, there must be more but I, I just keep seeing all over the place new new awards popping up everywhere yeah, so I mean, you know, initially when I when I first saw the film uh, after it had just been released in Japan, and I, I I thought, wow, this is great! I'm going to bring it to film festivals. And um, the first film festival was Brussels, uh, the Fantastic Festival. Uh, it's quite a big, fantastic film festival, and, and that was the first film festival. And it won two awards there. Then it went on to Fantasia in Bra- in uh, Fantaspoa in in uh, in Brazil and won two more awards there. And so far, it's won 15 awards. That's uh, <laughs> some quite big ones like Sitges. I mean, there's some big film festivals in there, so it's. It's certainly getting a lot of love, uh, you know, which is obviously I'm, I'm, we're all very happy about. Yeah, amazing. So it's been out. I mean, I'm not sure when we're going to release this episode yet, but it's been out a couple of weeks, I guess, probably by the time this comes out. Um, and yeah, did it? It didn't get an official theatrical run here, did it? it it's straight to Blu-ray. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was quite hard at the time uh, with so many cinemas that have been closed for so long, and also then backed up with with. Uh, with um, films that they haven't been able to screen. So it did play, I played it at five or six film festivals and one or two one-off screenings in the UK. And also because the American release will be out uh, for anybody here that's that's in America, the American release by another company will be out in uh, January. So I wanted actually to get it out a little ahead of time for for my own uh, financial. Yeah, uh, sure. But but it's it's out in Spain um, actually this week as well in on on Blu-ray and video on demand and television and uh, 
I just sold it to a lot of countries worldwide to a very big television network, which I can't really say, but uh, it should be uh, available pretty much worldwide. Uh, very, very in the in the beginning part of next year. So it, it's yeah, more people will see it soon. Amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, there's not much more we can say about it right now. I think it's one that's going to kind of grow and grow. Like you said, it's going to become like a cult hit. And, you know, you've released it. It's an awesome little box. And yeah, it's it's not super expensive. So it's one that everyone should pick up if, if they're into this sort of thing. Yes. And it's, it's on digital as well for those of people who just want to rent it. Uh, so lush well look let's go back then to the previous the ultimate micro budget hit for for yourself which is uh shinichiro ueda's one cut of the dead um i mean i'm sure that everybody can kind of say where they were when they first saw this film that's how it feels like to me like it feels like it was a new dawn for kind of genre cinema and i know that might sound a bit kind of hyperbolic or over exaggerated but um I, I watched it with a group of friends um, and we'd heard the festival hype. Um, you know, everyone had said how amazing it was. And it, actually, I didn't see it till it came out on Shudder here in the UK, um, the, the horror streaming service. And we all sat in this room and we were so excited. And the film started and maybe about 15 minutes in, I was like, this film's okay, but uh, I, I do not see what all the fuss is about. I really don't. I was like, this... I can see the strings, you know, I can see all the little fuck ups and everything. And I didn't really, I was like, it's fine, but whatever. And then that 50 minutes, that one cut 50 minutes finished and the the second part of the film started and it all came into place. And I just started getting like goosebumps about how incredible this film is (laughs) and how, how much it made me want to make films and how much it made me think about, you know, you can have excuses about, you know, maybe your limitations and, oh, you can't be a filmmaker. You haven't got this or you haven't got that connection or you haven't done this. But really, it's all bollocks, because if you have a good idea and, you know, a bit of tenacity, um, yeah, you can get it done. And I've lost count of how many times I've seen it now, but the film is a legitimate modern masterpiece. And I genuinely think it's it's just one of the greatest films of the last decade. Personally, <laughs> and perfect with an audience. I mean, as you said, I think if watching that film by yourself, of course, you 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 do enjoy it. But watching it in a cinema, I mean, I remember because I brought that film as well. I I took on the film way before it was even released in Japan and brought it to many film festivals. And I remember screenings at like Udine in Italy, um, where it had its international premiere. I think it was or the or the, or the or European premiere, and watching it with like a thousand people. I mean. The, the reactions with an audience and, and sitches when we screened it, like once one of the scenes was like 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. or something like that. Like it was like the end of four films in a row in the big 1400 seat cinema. I mean, just, uh, you know, the, the watching with people that are so, that get, yes, like yourself, like uh, just the, the, the amaze that you see on people's faces and the reactions and the, the, the cheers. I mean, it's, it really makes you, so happy for especially myself for the work that I, I'd been doing for something to see people's reactions it, I did uh, I felt so enthused after that well yeah I mean like I said as someone who has always had a dream of being a filmmaker it is one of those films that makes you go wow that is you know one of the most original and exciting debuts that you'll ever see and you know I mean it was cost about $25,000 right after um uh if you change up 
you know, the the, the money, and it, it's made over something like twenty five million or something. No, in Japan only, it made thirty million in the cinemas. Um, it initially, like Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, played in one cinema in Tokyo, and it just sold out for like months. Right, and then. Uh, Toho Cinemas, the big theater chain, took it up and, and released it nationwide. And just the word of mouth kept it going and going. And yes, it ended up getting 30 million. And when you say it cost 25,000, you know, I'd like to talk about the, the concept of, of these uh, independent films and how they can cost so little as well. I think, you know, even if you were to say there's in Japan or in overseas, there's independent films. And then in Japan, you have this, the word is called jishueiga, which sort of means independent films, but they're they're not. They're they're micro budget, as you say, hmm. but they're micro budget because you know in the West you can't make those films because there's unions and there's rules and you have to pay people properly and you can't work all until the morning. But in Japan they don't have these things. And in the case of One Cut of the the Dead, actually that was done as what they call a workshop film, and a workshop film is a a sort of like a film school. But there's different film schools. There's like a film school for, for producers. There's a film school for actors. There's a film school for directors, all run by different companies and people. And in this case, it was an actor's film school called Embu Seminar. And in, the, in that, actors pay to be in this film. So in, in this case, the film was funded, one, by the actors actually paying to be in the film, and two, by crowdfunding on top of that. So... You know, when you're not paying people salary on top of that, I mean, they pay the staff a little bit of a salary, but uh, you can make a film very cheaply. But at the same time, you know, it's a bit dodgy, to be honest. I mean, you, you, there's, there's goods and bads. I mean, you could say, all right, when you go to normal film school, like a university, you're paying a, your, your tuition and you're learning about stuff, but you're not actually putting that into practice. You're not making a film, especially with directors or with proper producers. Uh, you're, you're, you're sort of learning in it in essence and, and playing around with a little but in these cases you pay to be in a film so that film will get released at least in cinemas as part of these workshop uh it works for projects so you know it's a bit good and bad but at the same time you know if you pay to be in a film that ends up making 30 million dollars and you get not one penny of that and you've paid to be in it i mean it's a bit uh, uh it, you mean if you were a certain type of person you'd feel a bit aggrieved Absolutely. I mean, instantly, what that says to me, though, is you've got to really be a good judge of character and kind of feel that's something that can be really abused by the people in power, the producers and the director or something. Or it could come from a place of real, you know, genuine heart and love and like this, and it goes good. And I mean, all of the cast, you know, they they kind of became overnight sensations right and they've all got their own sort of stuff going now. I know a lot of them were in the um, the sequel One Cut Out of the Dead in Hollywood um that you released um which is really cool as well again sort of similar concept but set in in tinseltown which was which was cool as well but yeah no yeah, I, I oh sorry go ahead no i mean yeah i mean you know they've all all right you you pay to be in this film but then the film becomes a success and you don't get one penny out of it but yes they've all become be, been now brought into big talent agencies and they're all very famous so yes there's that is a, obviously a, a positive that came from it Look, this one's been out for a while now, right? This came out, what, like 2018 or something? Yeah, or 2017. I think it was first released in Japan in 2017. I may, I may be wrong because I'm a bit uh, tired and I didn't take any notes. But <laughs> yes, I, if I remember correctly, it was it was 2017 in Japan and and, uh, and maybe 2018 
overseas or it was 2018 in Japan and, and around the same time overseas? I think, yeah, it was 2018 I saw it because, again, I came to it late. It was already on streaming services. But, um, yeah, well, the reason I'm saying that is because I, I don't care about spoiling the shit out of this one. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone will have, have seen it. So, yeah, there, there's this first we talked about in one cut. No, sorry, <laughs> beyond the infinite two minutes. I find it interesting that these single take kind of, you know, um, gimmick films, they have numbers in the title. So one cut of the dead or beyond the infinite two minutes and stuff like that. One, two, yeah, one, two. With that one, with Beyond, it, it was shot in 10-minute segments, whereas with One Cut of the Dead, it was a, there is a legitimate 37-minute single-take opening, which is so good. Because like I said, when you first see it, you're like, this isn't so good. This is kind of dodgy. Like, you know, it looks awkward acting, and there's bits that keep fucking up, and then there's like blood splatter on the camera, so he has to wipe it off with the thing. And But then, yeah, when you put it in perspective and you kind of – gain this knowledge at the end about what's going on and how they did it it is just genius and i know it was um it was based on a um play wasn't it called ghost in the box by ryochi wada is that my personal right yeah and that was uh, a, a big big problem for the first year or two of the film to be honest because it wasn't initially credited um as being based on a play and the the co- the license wasn't officially done and there wasn't a contract done so I think because the the, the original playwright and uh, the director were friends and the director probably like casually in Japan they don't make contracts uh, um, for films usually for especially for, for these uh, I mean for the, for the big budget films usually not for independent or or these micro budget films and I think it was like all right I want to adapt your play into into a film and it was like yeah go ahead but I think nobody expected it to be so big. And when it became big, it was like, yeah, that's my play and you haven't even credited it and, and I want money. And uh, it ended up being this huge legal issue that, that really uh, caused me a lot of stress as well because I was trying to handle the sales and the distribution for the film that was that was caught up in a, in a legal dispute. So, uh, <laughs> Shit, man, I had no idea about that. So did that all get sorted, all ironed out in the end? Or? It got sorted, but it was really stressful because then, you know, like with anything, when, when when money is around, you get dodgy people. And in this case, some dodgy American producers tried to they, they tried to get the rights to the play so that they could sue the film and then remake the film themselves. But using right. the it, it was really stressful for me for a long, long time Uh uh, I, I really wanted to just forget about it all, to be honest. So I've got quite a traumatic experience uh, dealing oh, with God. this film. <laughs> oh man! Did it even become lucrative for you? Like, did you were you able to kind of um, put put money that you earned from it back into other projects or anything like that, or has it just been a ball ache? Well, I mean, of course, you know, I didn't get one penny of that thirty million. Only the <laughs> producer got got that, and only one person uh, mainly got got that. Uh, Despite the fact that all of the rest of us did uh, all the work, but that's how it goes, unfortunately, with with, uh, with with copyright and such. But um, because I had was handling all the international side of films, obviously bringing it to film festivals, uh, selling the rights to companies like Shudder, and uh, with that, of course, I get a percentage of of each se- of the sales. So it it wasn't as much as as some other people made from it, uh, considering the the year and a half or two years that I spent working on it, but. You know, in the end, uh, it wasn't. It was a decent amount that I used to to release. Uh, probably melancholic, actually. I think was a uh, one of the small films that uh, I released afterwards uh, because of the success uh, financially that I had from One Cut. Amazing. 
I mean, it's got to be your best-selling release, right? Yeah. Probably, but remember, it's been 15 years and uh, I've, I've had some a few decent releases in the past, like Confessions was a really big uh, big success and uh, Love Exposure over years always has been a top seller and obviously Hanabi as well. Uh, but recently, yes, it's been, been one of my biggest successes uh, and uh, obviously because I've had the international rights as well, I've, I've done decent of that. So yeah, it's, it's helped. Nice. I mean, just before we move on, I mean, did you ever see the play that it was based on? Because I can't even perceive how this would even be a play. It, it just doesn't seem like it would work the same way. No, the play is actually, um, I didn't see it, but I, but I, I, I read about it actually because there were some legal issues where this, this dodgy producer tried to put the play out and then it got stopped in because of the lawsuit. It was very, very chaotic. But the, the play is the same thing in essence. It's about, um, but it's, it's, a, it's about ghosts, not zombies, in which um, the first half of the play is them trying to catch uh, and make a film about ghosts in this, in this um, facility. And then halfway through the the play, the the screen goes, the the lights go black, and then go dark, and then they go back up, and they explain how they're making a movie about making this movie about about a ghost. So it's 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 very similar, except obviously the characters are different because this uh, Ueda director based wrote these characters based on the personalities of the of the people that were starring in it so shuhama harumi the uh, lead actress the the mother the mother in the film uh, she was actually an actress a long time ago and then left and then came back into actressing with this film and a lot of the characters like the um the the the, the main director who's very nervous type guy i mean that's that's his personality so there's actually less acting uh, in the film than it is just like <laughs> people being themselves and I, that's one of the great talents of, of, of the director yeah that's cool and I suppose that's a good thing that comes out of the workshop too because you get to know these actors for who they are and you can then use that in the writing process and kind of rather than fit the right person to the right role make the role about them and yeah and also you only you have have a few a few you only have a very short time as well within uh, this workshop to 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 work with them so so you don't have much time to for people to really create new characters and get very very involved in i mean if we talk about be my baby later we'll 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 see the time was even less on that yeah i mean just before we move on then from ueda in general um have you seen his follow-up which was i think it's called special actors here yeah he did actually make a a a a film after called aesop's game and aesop's game was uh three directors uh, a sort of omnibus um making making a film and apparently it wasn't very good so he sort of like uh distanced himself from it <laughs> so and the other directors were kind of mad because they, they were hoping that uh the success of his name would have helped the film uh get popular but he sort of distanced himself from it and yes he made this uh, follow-up special actors which had about 10 times the budget of uh one cut but it looks actually uh lot less budget to be frank and uh it's a bit i know a lot of people do like it but to me it's a bit gimmicky and uh it's a bit similar to one cut like uh obviously having red herrings and then uh you know solving them all at the end in a in a way that sort of ties things together i wasn't that big of a fan but i know a lot of people do like it it's definitely not quite as clever is it it's like he watches this martial arts tv show that has one single move in it which then comes in later and kind of saves the day and that sort of thing well it's the same same thing as one cut of the dead in that respect i mean a lot of it is is a bit too similar to one cut i mean you you sort of hope that he tries something a little different uh but uh you know i'm sure he had a lot of pressure himself but at the same time i think him as a person 
is really he's really independent and he's really supporting uh, for example independent cinemas um like uh he made an omnibus film called Divok 12 which was released in in Japan uh, um last month and that film of his he did shot it uh, if i if i remember correctly in a cinema called Cinema Rosa which was one of the cinemas that helped One Cut of the Dead uh get released initially so he's really promoting independent uh films and even his he's got his new one pop run which is out uh in two months in japan that was like quite a low budget film and, and with in the very very independent actors like the lead actor from melanconic so i think he obviously would have the opportunity by all these studios to say like choose your star choose your budget do whatever you want and he's like nah nah i'm keeping it uh independent so that's that's great actually he lives just just around the corner from me actually and i saw i, I bump into him uh, a few times a week when he's taking his kid to a daycare so no way. <laughs> And his wife actually is is a director as well, an animated director, and um, she made a film, uh, an animated film that did play in London uh, a few years ago about um, about underarm hair, um, uh, and but, uh, ah, I've, I've forgot the name, but uh, they also made a film recently called like I think a hundred year, a hundred days of the crocodile or something like that, uh, and that's the two of them making it together. Uh, so he, the two of them, his wife and him, are. are uh, very talented and, and very um, energetic. Uh, and their, their kid apparently is a four years old and apparently he's, he's making films now as well. Or if you look at, <laughs> if you look at Oeda's uh, Twitter feed, you'll see that he's like his son's films on there. His four year old son is like making films and he's uh, he posts them on Twitter. So, so they're quite cute. That's so cool. Well, hopefully you can maintain a relationship with him and, you know, get some more of his new films out to here, us here in the UK. Yes. All right, then. So you mentioned um, a film a couple of times during that chat. So let's move straight on to that one then. Um, Seiji Tanaka's Melancholic, which is a fucking bonkers film, really. Like, I remember the first time I saw it thinking I kind of knew what I was getting into. Um, you really don't. It's it's half like mumblecore romantic comedy and half like really like nasty, violent um yakuza hitman like thriller <laughs> right pretty much yeah i mean it's a great mix of of genres it's uh it's shot really well i mean considering it's also about the same price as one cut and beyond about uh, twenty five thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars uh that one not not done as a workshop but done as a um in a similar way as beyond the infinite two minutes as a theater group of uh of that they decided to make a film together and uh the lead actor is also the producer and, and the director it's his first time film and uh yeah it's it's a a great little yeah mix-up genre mix-up but uh, that i think if it had a bigger budget it could have been a little better because there are some action scenes in it that um aren't that good uh to be honest and uh I think actually they were they they were I mean talking about a Korean remake last time I, I spoke to them and I'm sure that with a that would have would be quite good actually because the concept of the film is fantastic and I think with a little bit more of a budget it would be a a lot a lot better but it's it's great as it is to be honest. I mean I know the scene you're talking about the kind of the big action sequence where you find out that um, uh, the blonde guy I always forget his name. Um, uh, he's got a quite long name and uh, Yoshitomo uh, Isazaki. Yeah. Is that, yes, I that's think the so. one. Um, yeah, you find out that like he's an actually an assassin. He's not this bumbling stoner idiot that you think he is. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of cool. I've got this kind of like kinetic fight sequence energy from it. And again, you can tell the limitations of the budget, but I thought what they actually achieved was actually pretty awesome. 
it's a lot better looking as a film than 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 one cut and, and beyond the infinite two minutes it's very well shot uh, um very well lit and it's got a great feeling to it but, the, but yes it's a very unique story as a uh sort of a uh japanese uh sento like a not an onsen like a bathhouse in which uh the, at nighttime it's used for 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 killers uh, and cl- and people to clean up uh yakuza kills so it's it's a great little concept that also that plays out yeah and like you said like as a sort of a, a romance comedy and uh an action, a bit of this and that. So it's 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 a charming film that I wish uh, more people saw, to be honest, because it's really not uh, not popular. I know it won in Udine Film Festival, like like uh, One Cut of the Dead. It won the audience uh, was audience award or the first the, the um, uh, first director debut film award. But uh, you know, it, it's played a few film festivals here and there. But unfortunately, it's only sold like five hundred copies on on, uh, on on Blu-ray. So it's uh, it's a bit oh, weak man. in that respect. Well, it's crazy because everyone I know that's seen it loves it. So it's that thing about we just need to learn how to shout about it more, but I don't know how yeah. to get it out, really. Because, again, you can't say it's the new One Cut of the Dead because it's kind of tonally unique. Like, there's a bit of um, – did you ever see the uh, John Cusack film, Gross Point Blank? Uh, I love that film. Right. There, but there's a bit of that, right? It's the hitman comedy, so it's got darkness and, and comedy in it. But it's not. It, it's – it is very different. And again, the one of the smartest things you can do in low-budget or micro-budget filmmaking is to make it all in one location, right? Because then, you know, you've got your whole crew, your whole location's there, and using this bathhouse is a really interesting way of doing that. And obviously, they do actually... They, he does some external shots, and there's a few that are in a car, and, and obviously the big siege scene, like we talked about, the action sequence. But mostly, it's just them at night in a... I keep wanting to say sauna, but yeah, just in a bathhouse. <laughs> And um, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, do you know anything about the director? Um, do you have a relationship with them now? Are, are they doing anything new? Well, uh, the the lead actor, who's also the producer, did this. Um, uh, is is the lead actor also for the upcoming Ueda Shinichiro film Popran, which uh, which I mentioned before. Um, otherwise, I'm I I'm not sure to be honest. Uh, when Melancholic came out. I mean, it was a big hit in Japan, actually. Um, like One Cut and like um, uh, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, it opened in just one screen and ended up selling out for for weeks on end. Then going into a wider release um, and being popular and very very popular for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and uh, ended up winning the um, Sh- uh, Shindo Kanato Award, which is the same award that um, One Cut of the Dead director won for the best uh, young director of the year. So it ended up getting quite a lot of acclaim uh, um i think yeah apart from that also won some awards uh in, in japan so it was uh really popular and i i think i'm not sure i think the director was talking about uh doing something afterwards but uh i i haven't followed up so you've you've reminded me to to do so <laughs> yeah get on that i mean I, the reason i love this because it's a guy who he's graduated from a really um prestigious university right but he's kind of stuck now he doesn't he, his degree is too good to get a, a kind of mid-level job, but he can't get any top-paying like advanced jobs, so he's kind of lost and stuck in life. Um, and again, I, I, kind of at the end of the day, it's a film that kind of says you shouldn't compare yourself to others, really. And if you're kind of insecure about your status in life, then you just need to kind of take a good look at what you have already and take stock of it because you're probably doing better than you think. Um, it's meaningful. I mean, it is. It's got so many different aspects to it as a film, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's really got that deep meaning and and uh, social conscience uh, of so many people that are lost when they leave uh, university. But at the same time, you know, going into uh, 
being a killer in a in a bathhouse. So I think uh, it's, <laughs> it's got some uh, yeah genre aspects to it, and uh, yeah, I really wish some more people saw it. Uh, I hope maybe a few people that listen to this uh, might go out and, and rent it or, or or watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I, I even when, I remember when I first saw it, I was like, I wonder if this actually happens because bathhouses it's kind of genius like the guy goes in there he slits their throat and then you kind of wash the blood out with the bath water you know and they t- he takes the bodies down to the furnace underneath doesn't he and like burns them up yes uh maybe they are being used uh, uh <laughs> okay you don't want to you don't want to go on record as saying yes or no do you i, I don't know i'm not I'm, uh, but there are a lot of there are a lot of uh of bathhouses in japan uh, so if ever you come uh you know, there's obviously many Westerners uh, know of onsens, obviously a very posh place uh, to go. But, you know, Japanese people still do. Um, there are so many people that don't have uh, baths in their house and have to go to local centers to to, to bathe. And uh, I think it's a bit uh, of a strange concept for, for you and I, uh, or you and I, maybe I live in here so in Japan, so, so but maybe for, for Westerners to, to still go and, bathe with people i mean uh you know uh... yeah it is a bit weird but um <laughs> uh one of the characters in there, in fact the love interest um played by mabuki yoshida she actually goes into the bathhouse all the time to see the lead and she kind of says she likes coming here because she wants a bigger bath but then you find out later down the line that actually she's like so bad at paying her bills that they cut off her electricity and her water and everything so she can't actually bath at home and it's just easier to go down and pay. I know it's, it's like nothing, is it? It's like cheap as anything yeah. just to go in and have a bath. Yeah, quite cheap. Uh, and I've not actually been to one myself. I'm a bit a bit uh, old-fashioned and a bit nervous about uh, going and, and bathing. I've been to a few onsen, but I've never been to a, a, a bathhouse. Maybe I should, I should go. But I think I've got tattoos, so maybe I wouldn't be allowed, to be honest. Well, I was going to say that most, most of the ones that I've seen on film are the Yakuza ones, where they're all in there washing themselves with their huge back tattoos and everything. Actually, you, that just reminded me when I was in uh, Yamanashi, which is quite a, which is in the countryside in Japan near near Mount Fuji, and we were making Love and Other Cults, which is a film, uh, um, also a low budget film, but not micro budget. Uh, I love um, that film uh, so much. It's well, one of my favorites. I, but yeah. <laughs> is it? Oh, thank you. Um, but yes, we I went to Yamanashi there, and I was staying in a in an old hotel. And in that old hotel, they had a a um a sento, a a, a bathhouse, and I went to the bath and. Uh, and there was an old man in front of me, and he was like, uh, "Your your legs are very long." And I said, oh, "Not that's not a youth euphemism. I just have very very long legs." And he's very very short legs. And then he turned around, and his whole back was uh, was um, was was Sakura. He's a proper yakuza, and he had no. He was missing his pinky fingers actually. No and way. Uh, Yamanashi is quite. He's got a lot of yakuza, and it's a like um, it's like the film Love and Other Cults. I mean, it's like a, it's quite a Yankee and yakuza type place uh, in the countryside it's a bit uh, like newcastle if, if i hope i'm offending people from newcastle but it's a bit, uh, <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit rough rough place and yes uh, when i went to my my first bath there uh, there was a yakuza bathing with me an old man though so uh, not so scary again i wonder though yeah so you think how many people he might have had a a part in like killing or causing misery but then like he's just this sweet old man now who's like commenting on your long legs it's so crazy it was was very cute uh yeah and and it seemed a little less cute when i saw his back but uh but (laughs) (laughs) oh man 
Okay, so should we go on to a couple of super, super micro-budget films then, which I know you were really excited about. Um, it was two that I hadn't seen before, but you very kindly sent me uh, DVDs of them. Um, one of them is uh, Hitoshi One's Be My Baby, and the other one, I forget the director, so I one second, I'm just going to pull it up, is uh, Kim uh, Morikawa, is it? Um, makeup Room. Mori- yeah, Morikawa K and uh, One, One Hitoshi. It's, uh, One, One, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm so bad. I need to, to take, take some lessons in pronunciation, I think, for Jap- Japanese names. But yeah, both of these films are astonishing. But when you talk about how the other films kind of look low budget, like this is next level, right? This looks like it was filmed on a home camera. Yeah, Makeup Room, I think the budget was about $2,000. Right. And Makeup Room, the director is a very, very, uh, I don't know if you could say famous, but he's a veteran um, porn director. Um, He's made hundreds and hundreds of of porn films. And that was a theater group um, called Stray Dog. Is it Stray Dog? Uh, I think so. Um, Yes. And that theater group uh, with him made this this one location uh, film that's, it's, it's a lot. It's very, very charming. It's a comedy set in the in the makeup room of a porn film set, and uh, it's really, really cute and charming. But but yes, uh, very, very low budget and looks it. And when I pl- I brought that film to uh, Udine Faris Film Festival, which I've, I've like all these other ones I played there, um, actually it was a bit stressful because the the quality was so poor that that I got a lot of complaints um because it's a very big screen it's like it's an opera house and it's this massive <laughs> screen and and you're watching this like $2000 like a uh, porn film director <laughs> comedy and it it looks doesn't look great but you know it's it's not really a film that visuals are very important i mean it's one location and it's, it's the dialogue it's like watching a play i mean and they are yeah. all theater actors so it's it's yeah, I really like it. It's a cute film, and and the the one of the lead actresses in that um, Kawakami Nanami, I ended up um, giving her a break in a non-porn other than that, uh, which was Low Life Love. So um, yes. and she and now she's one of the she's a huge name in Japan, <laughs> really, really, really big big actress, and uh, she's a fantastic, uh, fantastic girl, and she's just left the porn industry actually to become a normal actress. Uh, but uh, yeah, Makeup Room is um, is a very Super, super low budget film, but uh, and shot in like just two days. But uh, it's a uh, very cute and and charming. And there's only a bit of nudity in it, like one shot or something like that. So I think uh, people don't have to be put off too much if they don't like nudity. That's it. I mean, I was going to say when when I first saw it, I, put, I was just reading my review that I did on Letterboxd, and I put this is another third window film about filmmaking because I think at this point I'd been watching a lot. You know, there is there is definitely a theme with a lot of your films. It's about making independent cinema you know i really like that about it but it goes i put this one is entirely set on the makeup room of a porn set the 18 certificate and the fact that it stars many real life porn stars pointed towards a raunchy peak behind the pink curtain but in fact what we get is something closer to a workplace comedy with heart that just happens to be set in this world because it is it's just people it's a community isn't it of people who just get along and having their normal lives and it just happens to be on a porn set yeah and i think uh that sort of you know it could be hard for an audience to find a film like that because if you, obviously the poster is a bit uh, erotic as is and, and uh, the concept itself and it's by a porn director. So it might put people off that, that uh, like comedies, but then the people that might want to give it a try are people maybe that like something a little more erotic of which it's not. So it's a, it sort of falls in between, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a great little 
charming film. I mean, obviously it has its limitations and it's a it's a bit of a one joke film, but it's 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 cute and uh, charming and and funny and uh, yeah, I, I like it. Well, again, though, like for someone like me who does aspire to one day make their own film, it makes me think, you know, well, if you just have a bunch of actors and a location and I mean, there's no sort of fancy camera work here. It's all just like establishing shots with a, a static camera, isn't it? They just pick their angle and then they just film the scene, like you said, like a play. Well, it's, it's, it comes down to the fact that the, one of the, the most important part is a script, a good yeah. script. And, and uh, obviously, decent enough actors help. But, uh, you know, I think the what we were looking at a lot of these films uh, is that they're, they're unique films that have very good scripts. And, um, you know, the limitations of having no no money. I mean, Be My Baby is another one that had no money to it. But having a good script and obviously if you have good actors on top of that can really make uh, make a, 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 a great film. I mean, it's it's a very... But it's it's a, quite a simple, simple way to, to put it. But uh, yeah, you look at these films and you go, oh, yes, you're right. A good script can can make a good film. All right, let's talk about Be My Baby then, because um, so that's Hitoshi One. Have I got it right now? Yes, uh, he's actually <laughs> a very big, big director. Yeah, and he's huge was... now. I was looking at his filmography, and he's making yeah, he's making huge hits. Like but he was huge basically. then. He was oh, huge right, then okay. because this was a workshop film as well, um, like uh, One Cut of the Dead, by a workshop run by a guy called uh, Yamamoto Masashi. And Yamamoto Masashi is a is a, a great director from the peer um, punk age of cinema, like along with uh, uh, Sono Shion and uh, Tsukumoto Shinya, Ishi Sogo. He came out around that time and made like a lot of quite punk films in, in the 80s uh, and um, 8mm films, 16mm films. And then uh, recently he's made a little more, um, he made a film called Wonderful Paradise, which uh, is playing uh, at some film festivals here and now there. But uh, he for years was running this workshop uh, for actors in which actors like One Cut of the Dead would pay to be a part of it and then he would produce it instead of directing and then hire a famous director like One Hitoshi to come in and make a film together. So Be My Baby is that, but Be My Baby is actually also like One Cut of the Dead. It's from a play and that play right. is by uh, Murita Daisuke and it's quite a, he's quite a famous playwright for making, his plays are always like quite... Uh, like like the film they're very 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 black and and they're it's a lot of uh uh like bu- bullying and yes <laughs> i was yeah. gonna ask you about that actually it's i found the content really hard like genuinely really hard to watch because it's it's like this really realistic fly on the wall style drama but um all the men are just like awful and like all the women are like really kind of downtrodden and like it's it's got toxic masculinity, bullying, lying, cheating, loads of gaslighting. There's like negging. It's just like assholery everywhere. And I was kind of like, who am I supposed to like in this film? But then it, it, it had definitely has merit to it. Like I did enjoy it, but I was kind of cringing through the whole thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's that's, I mean, all of his, the, the playwrights plays and also he, he's directed a few films as well, including a sort of sequel to this uh, called um, this one is called uh, Koi no Uzu in Japanese. Um, and he made, there's another one called Ai no Uzu. Koi and Ai both mean love, but there's sort of, uh, the kanji is different and it's a bit slightly different. Uh, maybe one means more like lust and, and one means more love. Uh, but uh, they're, they're, they're quite similar words. They both mean love in English. And this Ai no Uzu, Vortex of Love, was a sequel that, that he directed himself um, and has a very similar situation and it's all that's more one location actually it's like a sort of like 
America is it's about like a, it's just it's like a sex party. Right. And but they're all bullying each other and they yes, they're all treating each other crap. He 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 does that. He makes these very, very, very black um plays and films uh, which is ma- yeah, mostly just like dickhead guys bullying girls. I mean, it doesn't sound it sounds pretty awful, but they're so black that it is cringeworthy, but it, you you want to keep on watching. Uh, yeah. uh that's exactly it. But it's hard as well because this one's, I mean, 160 minutes. So it's like two hours 20 and you kind of like, Jesus Christ, how much of this can I watch? But you do. And because, sorry to keep going, but like there's, it's shot in four different, they call them Danchi apartments, right? Which is like really tiny, almost single room apartments. Um, so again, you keep the budget low because there's just these four locations and you've got these characters that were all in one party and they all separate. And then it's kind of very clever editing where it brings in the different stories at different times. So it does keep it dynamic and interesting. And it's almost to the point where you think, I can't watch any more of this dickhead, you know, um, treating this girl like shit. And then it will cut away to someone else. And you're kind of like, OK, we can take a breather from that guy for a bit. It's really interesting. <laughs> I mean, the play itself actually was... One, um, it was like a sort of building, and there were four pods, um, two stacked, two and two. Um, and there were four rooms, actually, so that the rooms were always there in the play. And, and the lights come on to each room as they do that, the, the, the interaction between two people in there. And then the lights fade, and then the lights come back up to the other rooms. So it's the film is quite similar. I mean, I think in this respect, it was less time less budget less everything than than one cut of the dead in terms of preparation so i think so actually the actors were told to go watch the play and learn it and all the people except for one were part of this workshop and uh there was one actress called goto yumi and she actually they, her role was being played by someone the role that she ended up playing was actually decided by someone else who's part of that workshop and two days before they started filming that person left they ran away because I don't know why, but they ran away. And then she was called, like, when she was at a club, like, I think she was quite drunk at the time. And they said, like, we've got to make this this film, like, in two days, can you be in it? And she was drunk. She's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then, like, she she was the only person who actually got paid to be in it and didn't have to pay herself. And it's pretty amazing, all of them, how, how, how they could... Because, as you said, it's a very long... It's a very long film and has a lot of dialogue in it. How they could remember their dialogue and how they could get in characters and deliver great performances, uh, um, considering how how little money and how prepar- little preparation they had. Yeah, I was going to bring that up actually because I watched the extras on the disc, and one of them was called the girls' pajama party, where it gets the, the, the lead actresses in the film and they're just having a bit of wine and, and chatting on the bed. And I think you said that was actually filmed in your house, wasn't it? Like, yeah, <laughs> on my bed. <laughs> on your bed. <laughs> <laughs> the same Amazing. bed that is the, is the same bed in Low Life Love, actually, because Low Life Love we shot there in in my apartment at the time. Uh, and actually, I moved house halfway through so we could have another location to shoot another scene. So amazing! But no, yeah. So she tells that story about how she got the call and how she wasn't meant to be in the film, and it's such a wild story to get that role. But also the fact that that her role in the film is the ugly girl, and I'm using like you know. Um, speech marks there because that's a that's a hard role to, to to come into right to be kind of seen as the ugly girl that no one wants the dog and like the boys are so nasty and they're like pretending to vomit around her and stuff like that where she just well, like in the interview she just seemed like a really cool awesome chick and like it was far from this like downtrodden chick she plays on screen 
Well, that's acting for you. I mean, but course, it's better than being, than being the slut girl or something like that. Is the other character uh, Shibata Chihiro was, uh, you know. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I think she I was think great. We... <laughs> <laughs> I liked her. They're all quite, you know, the funny. This is a bit of a, a straight. To be to be frank, like One Cut of the Dead, um, when you have these workshop films, you don't have that much time to um, create uh, characters and then uh, create new characters and then have these actors merge into those characters obviously because they're 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 usually young and 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 uh amateur actors that's why they're appearing in these workshops but um you know in this case and, and in the case of one card of the dead they they were not acting so much uh, they were quite other than koto yumi because she was a professional actress uh, but they were good actors but they were playing roles that were sort of designed around their own personalities and one of the, the main actor the biggest asshole in it uh the sort of bigger guy who um that it's his house when they're first having the party at the beginning. Uh, yeah. He actually he got arrested like <laughs> recently or, or or a few years uh, a couple of years ago for like um, pretending to be. This is quite quite public public news in Japan, or it was a <laughs> uh, minor news, but pretending to be like a like a what was it like a house cleaner or something like that, and like uh, and like. Uh, molesting some girls or something like that oh, so he Jesus was a real dickhead Christ. actually and so the role that he's playing as a dickhead in the film is not too far away from his own personality that's i mean yeah that's awful and it, that's what i think upset me the most about the film is because it does seem it seems very real you know the camera isn't flashy and it doesn't seem like a film set and the acting is very naturalistic so you do kind of feel a bit like there's a documentary kind of feel to it <laughs> Um, so yeah, that to hear that is awful, man. Jesus Christ! It's black on all levels. I mean, that was obviously the when when it becomes true. Uh, but I think you know that film also is par- parodying, as the play was, uh, a Japanese youth uh, and and Japanese, uh, especially youth at that time. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure it hasn't changed too much nowadays. But you know, that's that does add to the sort of cre- cringeworthy or the, the the car crash nature of it all. I mean, it's if you don't really if you don't have a certain mindset, I think it'd be very hard to watch that film, to be honest, especially as, as it's so long. So uh, it's a hard one to recommend, but it's a film that uh, I do like a lot. I definitely liked it. I mean, on the back, there's a couple of quotes from Japan Times and Yes Asia, both saying it was within their top 10 films of 2014. So it obviously did well or had at least a good critical response when it came out. Well, in Japan, it was, it was like these other films, uh, was a huge success and it was probably one of the films that started the craze of this workshop uh, movie making because this workshop process is quite is relatively new and that film's success i mean it, it played at a film called uh, a cinema called theater shinjuku and in japan you have um you have many many mini theaters uh, sort of independent fil- film theaters one in shinjuku called uh, theater shinjuku which is quite big about 250 seats and in the, the last show of every night, the late show screenings they have are usually reserved for independent films. And after the films, you have a talk event. It's a way of getting people to come to the cinema that probably that may not be that interested in the film or want to make it more of an event. And in that film, every day, the cast and crew w- and, and they would have other people come do talk shows after the films. And, and it just ended up being a big sort of phenomena and every day it was sold out and sold out and it was uh, the the screenings were extended extended and it became such a popular and and financially successful film that i also many other producers realized 
oh, look, we can get the actors to pay to be in the film and we can do it low budget and then we can make all the profits afterwards because the actors will go and, first of all, they'll invite all their friends because they're, they're, they're amateurs and they want loads of people to, they want the film to be successful for their own uh, pride and also for their chance of getting into uh, talent agencies. So the actors themselves put so much effort in to get not just their friends, but they come to the cinema every single day. They sign everything, you know, so it, it makes it a great environment but they're not getting paid for that as well so they didn't they paid to be in the film and then for like three four weeks straight they're like in the cinema every single night <laughs> and then they're going out for drinks and they're with people and then they're having to pay for their own drinks and all that so it's it's uh it's it's how it is over here unfortunately but it's uh yeah it's why the workshop boom became ended up being such a boom because uh it's uh, a, a good way to make money unfortunately nice well look i, I do want to get on to we, we're doing really well, actually. We've done five films in an hour. That's pretty good for us. Um, just before we move on from this, though, I wanted to know why. So when I went to review the film, it, like you said, you did uh, allude to it earlier, it's uh, called Vortex of Love. But why did you call it Be My Baby here in the UK? Be My Baby was, I think, decided by the producer, and hence the song Be My Baby. That is, I think that's why they used it. Uh, I think Vortex of Love is not that good of a name, to be honest. And... I think, I don't know, the producer must have... Because, you know, the song Be My Baby is played throughout oh. the film. Uh, and I guess the, that's why they, they was used. So I didn't decide to use it. It was it was decided ahead of time. Fair enough. Asked and answered. Okay. Well, so we've saved the best for last, I think, in my personal opinion, because, you know, there's a few films that you have produced yourself. And, yeah, without blowing too much smoke up your ass, you worked with a director who I absolutely adore. And, you know... I think when people think of third window films, they do think of um, Shion Sono and uh, Takeshi Kitano and those, those big, big hits. But this director is, has done some incredible work. And yeah, so I, I'll, I won't bury the lead any further. It's uh, I.G. Uchida. And yeah, we wanted to talk about low life love because it's one that you, again, you, you filmed in your own apartment. Um, you know, it was, it was quite an early film for him, right? He'd done Grateful Dead, but um I think it was quite an early film for him. No, actually, he'd been making films for a long time, just none of them took off. Uh, right. And he was actually thinking of quitting uh, be, being a director. Um, if Low Life Love... Low Life was the, sort of the last the last one he was deciding to do. And, and if it hadn't worked out, so he was going to... He was thinking about quitting because... Especially Grateful Dead, which I think is the best film that he's done. Uh, and that film bombed in Japan. I mean, proper, like just like three people in, the, in each in each cinema screening. It was a real bomb. Uh, just, Which is but crazy, I, right? Because it, it's, it feels like, I, again, like, I don't want to be too um, uh, dismissive of it, but it, it does feel like a Shion Sono film. Like it's like, it's dark, but it's comedic and it's got like this aesthetic, almost like love exposure, I kind of feel, you know? Yeah, but I think you also have to remember that Shion Sono is not popular in Japan. <laughs> okay, so, fair enough. <laughs> up until very recently, I mean, his films would never ever make money. They would always lose money. And that's why I think with films like uh, Cold Fish was aimed at an international audience as part of a, uh, a production that was called Sushi Typhoon, which were making films for the international audience. So uh, Grateful Dead was very popular or, or relatively popular overseas, but just in Japan, where the money is, it bombed. And also, if your films can, can constantly bomb in Japan, then unless somebody like me, who's a foreigner, is going to help you make a new film, then nobody's going to help him make make a new one. But yes, we we he after Grateful Dead, which I I um I uh, I brought overseas and played film festivals and released it, and uh, even the DVD uh, 
um, interview with him is shot in my house, uh, like like most of the other ones. Um, he came to me and he said, initially he wanted to make like a, a film in America and like a sort of karate film. And I was like, no, I want to make a very domestic. <laughs> I want to make a very domestic Japanese film. So he said, oh, I've got this this concept uh, of uh, that's going to be like a very very small film that nobody's going to watch. And I said, oh, let that that, that sounds like a something I want to do. And uh, <laughs> that's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> Well, look, I mean, it's it seems like a very angry film. And so I can tell now from what you just said there, like if this was going to be his last one where he's like, I'm, I'm going to quit the business, I can see why he'd make such an angry film. But it's not that dissimilar to Be My Baby in the sense that the characters you're watching are fucking awful. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just thought, like, this is so hard to watch. Like, he just treats people like shit. He, like, you know steals from his mother um you know just fucking like speaks to churches to try and get them to fund him because he just wants to like con everyone into getting this film made um but it's shot beautifully and it's got an incredible um lead performance by uh key your boy key um yeah yeah who just sells the film you're right. Yes, it is uh, an angry film, and, and and yes, uh, but I think that's only because actually Uchida himself is a very pure guy. He's a very very good person at heart, and if we're looking at maybe Be My Baby, the people like the the playwright is a, quite an asshole himself, and I think a lot of the producer is a great, is a very funny guy, but he's a bit he's a bit of a dickhead and all that, uh, in a good way, uh, I guess yeah. you could say. But uh, I think Uchida himself is a very pure guy, and I think he had been tricked and and, and pissed about by so many people in the industry and he'd seen like i have as well and like you do if you watch films like be my baby you see that the industry is especially the independent film industry in japan is so rotten Mm -hmm. and nobody's got any money and they're all sort of screwing each other and it's it's a very i mean it's sort of like a documentary actually low life love in that respect uh and it's but because of key I think if it had been anybody else in that role, it would have been very, very hard to watch. And it is quite yeah. hard to watch as it is. But I think he's he's plays that sort of lovable asshole role very, very well. He does it in, in a lot of films. But, like, he's an asshole, but, like, he's sort of charming. And, and I think if it had been anywhere else, it wouldn't have worked. I completely and utterly agree. I put that in my review. I was, like, saying he kind of makes this character... Uh, maybe not 100% likable but 100% engaging because of how just how amazing he is he really sells it well um but yeah I mean so I I watched this after seeing Love and Other Cults um and I'd seen Grateful Dead a lot long time before um and I just yeah I love his films I think they're really clever and dark and like I said not not easy watches by any stretch of the imagination but like they stick with you afterwards um, well, like you were saying earlier at the very beginning, you know, if you watch a bunch of films and you can't remember any of them, then they can't have been that good. Whereas <laughs> I'd say it's quite hard to forget a Uchida film. Um, I really liked as well. I know he worked on The Naked Director for Netflix, which was that series that he kind of ended up having a horrible experience and get bullied out of. But the stuff that he did on it, I thought was brilliant. Like the, the first few episodes or whatever, I thought were great. Yeah, I think the, the the episodes that he directed and wrote, are especially the fourth episode, which is which has uh, the main uh, protagonist is Kawakami Nanami, who is the the girl from Makeup Room that we gave her 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 sort of um her debut, I guess, a break yeah. in uh, Low Life Love. She plays Key's sister in it, and um, she 
it was also in Love and Other Cults, and um, yes, she's a fantastic actress, and yes, fantastic in, in the fourth episode four of The Naked Director. But Naked Director, yes, uh, the ones that she directed and, and Takemasa Haru, who did 100 Yen Love, they're, they're very good. They're just the, the ones that they didn't handle are pretty awful, and he had such a... <laughs> uh, Uchida has such an ex- awful experience uh, with that that, um, yes, he actually made another film recently called Sh- Shrieking in the Rain, uh, which is a very, very low-budget uh, film by by a studio that is his so it's it's actually very very similar to low life love um even the, right. the music is the same and keys in it and it's all the same actors but it's it's sort of him at him attacking netflix uh in, in, a, <laughs> in a way uh it was a, a film that he wanted to do sort of subtly uh attacking netflix for what they did to him with the naked director so that should be out uh out uh, next year oh i'd love to see that are you handling that one or no, it's too much like Low Life Love. Uh, he actually came to me and he said, I want to make this other Low Life Love type film attacking Netflix. And I was like, yeah, but we made Low Life Love. And like, you shouldn't just keep on making the same sort of film. Um, so I, I passed on it. But um, even the poster is exactly the same as Low Life Love. The, the music by Tijiros, who are the band that did the uh, opening and closing to Low Life Love. And it stars the same actors. So it's uh, it's very similar, to be honest. Um, it's just done from a female perspective. Uh, right. The, 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 the keys person is played by a female. Well, I'd love to see it still anyway. I mean, okay, so we're talking about this in, in the sense of micro-budget cinema. So I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I found on IMDb that it said it was shot in eight days. Is that about right? Yeah, it was uh, seven or eight. I mean, most of these films here are, are shot in that time. Um, you know, the thing is also... You know, Low Life Love had a lot of quite big name actors in it, and it's hard for to schedule those people, especially if you're paying them so little. Which, which unfortunately we were. Um, we did obviously when the film was success, I, I gave them royalties, which is uh, very rare in Japan. But um, you know, they were learning their lines to the other films while on set to oh, to wow. other film, and some of them I think like Dendem was like doing ours in the afternoon and then going on to like do a TV show in the in the evening, which is unfortunately how it is. Uh, for many Japanese actors, but yeah, it was shot in in eight days um, at my my apartment, so which which is the same apartment from uh, the Be My Baby, uh, and also we needed another set, so I move. I was planning about moving house at some point, so I made sure to to start the lease on the next place as this one was still going, so we could move halfway through filming and then have an extra set to shoot. Plus, we shot it in um, my local izakaya, like where my, my local drinking hall, except that place we could only shoot before it opened in, in the afternoon. So when we were finished one day shooting, I would walk to that place and it's about nine kilometers away so that I could get, because there's no, no there's no the trains at that time. So I walked from my house to Megaro, where it was nine kilometers to get the keys from the, from the chef so that I could open it and then wait for the first train to come in so that the staff and crew could come and we could shoot, uh, oh, shoot wow. the scenes there. That's some next level producing there. I like that. Was it a good it experience was... or um, did it put you off for life? No, no, no. I think the thing about that is because I had had problems in the past with this film committee system, which I've talked about in, in the past. Uh, but um, I wanted to do everything completely independent so that, so that we could all have the freedom to do what we wanted. Obviously, we wouldn't have the money to do what we wanted, but the freedom at least. So what I did is we I crowdfunded both in Japan and in overseas to raise some amount. Then I sold. I'd been collecting records for 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 uh, many many years for decades and i sold my record collection and then i sold 
as many positions that I as I could, and then with with that and the crowdfunding, I had enough money so that we could make this film completely independently. So, yeah, it was very tough, and we had very we didn't have much of a crew. Um, we didn't have any proper lighting. Uh, luckily, the cameraman, which owned the 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 red camera that he, so he didn't have to pay a camera rental fee. That's probably one of the reasons why we hired him in the first place. And um, everything else, like I shot the making of, and I was doing like the still photos on set, and it was all like a. It was it was tough work, but it was it was like rewarding. It's not like you yeah. do everything for for somebody else. You do it all for yourselves, and it allowed us the freedom. Like the ending was different initially, and it was just like on set. We're like, we look, let's just try a different ending. So, you know, it that that freedom was 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 fantastic, and it was yeah, so rewarding. Awesome. And have you have you had an experience like that since, or are you still trying to find that one again? Well, yeah, love another cults was quite was was similar. It was completely done independently. Um, but you know. The thing about these things, and, and like I said, with Be My Baby um, and, and actually the other ones, is the, re- the way that an independent film can become a success in Japan is really by doing these like after talk shows because right. it, allow, it, it, it creates events for, for the film. It's not just like a film being screened, of which, you know, there's, there's so many hundreds of films being, being released each year in Japan, but Japanese films only just that. Um, and, uh, you know, in order to do that, so you have the last show of of the day in a cinema, and then after that show, you have you talk on stage. And mm-hmm. in order to not to get different audiences, you have to hire different people to come and talk each night. So you hire different. You got I got I asked people like Shion Sono, or like uh, Yukisada, like Yukisada Isao, or Yamamoto Masashi, who, did, who produced Be My Baby, and we get them to the cinema. We talk on stage after the film, but then it gets to like. 11:30 at night so they want to go out for you've got to take them out for drinking sure. but in japan there's no there's no night buses or night trains so you've got to drink till morning yeah and it's it's okay for them because they they've they've just come to talk for that night but then i have to go and do it all again the next night uh, so <laughs> it's like five weeks i did that every single night uh and it's it really it's because obviously you eat you're drinking a lot and you're eating cheap food and you're not sleeping and uh you know it, it's rewarding and but it's it's incredibly stress tiring and, and on your body and love another cults was the same like uh five weeks of just non-stop talk events and, and uh less drinking that because it wasn't uh i think we learned our lesson uh with, with love another with love and with low life love but for the end of of the five week screening for low, lower life love like uchida went to hospital like so he had to go <laughs> his liver was all shot so uh <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's really 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 tough but yes uh rewarding well, that's what it takes it back to the start of the conversation where I said that I saw Salaryman at the film festival because that's basically what they're doing. They're, they're finishing their day of work after commuting in for an hour or whatever, um, working their arse off, having a tiny little lunch like in a noodle bar or something, and then having to go out with their bosses and drink all night. It's part of the culture there. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's, it's the same in Asia, like uh, Korea. I mean, I don't know about, about China, to be honest, but um, Korea and Japan, like that sort of, that's that culture thing of like, yeah, you have to go out and, and drink with the clients and you have to drink as long as, as, lo- as much as they drink and you have to go from one place to the next place. And, uh, you know, okay. If it's a one-off thing, like, uh, it's okay. But doing that every single night, it's, it's really, really tough. And, um, the, fi- the independent film scene is like that. It's, um, it's a lot of work and a lot of drinking and a lot of for for no money uh but at least it's 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 got something to it that we, you can't have that uh spirit overseas i think yeah man well look, i mean i think his films are incredible and 
I like I love this one in particular because it's kind of about artistic integrity. Um, because the the character that key plays is his name's Tetsuo, right? Yeah. Is that any um, reference to the Iron Man or? <laughs> no, no, no. But but now that you mention it, right? Um, but yeah, he he had like a an, an indie hit, right? It, his debut was a big hit on the circuit, and he's never really had a hit since. But he refuses to sell out, and he kind of wants to stick where he is. So it is about artistic integrity in that respect, but he seems to have lost all integrity in every other aspect of his life. <laughs> like like you say, how he treats people and how he thinks he's going to get ahead. And it's really interesting. So um, if people haven't seen it, I really recommend it. I don't know if that one's streaming anywhere. Yeah, um, it's, it's on Amazon Prime, actually, in, uh, in England and, and, uh, and America and a few other countries. So it's available for free if you have Prime, to be honest. Oh, so, uh... Amazing. Because I know that... Um... What's the other one? Uh, Love and Other Cults. I know that one's prime as well, which is, um, I just adore it. Again, I need to rewatch it. I've only seen it the one time, but I was so taken aback and impressed by that film because, again, the, the performances are astonishing and it's kind of dark and silly, but then it really hits home at the end how heartfelt and like emotionally intelligent it is. And yeah, it's another one that stuck I with think... me a long time. I think Uchida is very best at casting, actually, and um, and having working with very good actors before they become famous. He's very good at spotting, especially young actors. He's been, been very good at that. But if you think like Grateful Dead, uh, Takuichi Kumi, um, she went on to be very big. Actually, the film A Balance, which uh, which um, has been a huge international f- film festival hit and a hit in Japan right now as well. That's she's in that and she's fantastic. And if you look at um. Low, low life love as well like all those actors have ended up becoming uh, a lot bigger i mean key was not that big at the time and he is now and um hosoda yoshiko as well uh um they've all become incredibly big but love and other cults i mean the the ito saidi is now like one of the biggest actresses in japan i mean you you put, if you watch asako uh, asako one and two yes she's a fantastic in that but she's in the new netflix uh worldwide original movie um of which the name I've I've forgotten. I only know the, the Japanese name of her, but it, I think it's out very soon on Netflix worldwide. It's it's her and Moriyama Mirai who was in uh, Fish Story, and um, she's also in uh, Matsui Daigo, um, the film that just won the Tokyo Film Festival Audience Award called Just Remembering, and that's a very good film. But she's a really phenomenal actress, and um, you know, Love and Other Cults was her first uh, lead ro- lead role, and now. If we were to ask her to make the same film tw- again, I'm sure we could never get her. She's her schedule's booked for for a year ahead. But um, yeah, Uchida's been very very good with actors. But he t- he tends to put a few, trying to put too many characters in uh, in films, and it ends up sometimes getting a bit jumbled. To be honest, I think he he probably thinks every film's his last film, so he puts too much into it. When I think it could be a little more subtle and a little tighter. I mean, actually, Love and Other Cults was initially two and a half hours long, and I. Actually, I had to cut out about uh, fifty minutes of it because uh, it was just there was too much going on. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's he's a pr- pretty 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 decent director. And he's a very 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 great person, uh, and which is why I liked working with him so much. Amazing. Well, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Midnight Swan whenever it comes over here, and obviously whatever he's doing next. That sounds fun. Um, that's been awesome, man. I was going to say just before we go, actually, because you one of the things you did for Low Life Love, I know you mentioned on on our last episode, I was talking about how I like, you know, that garage rock, like 90s stuff that Toyota does. And you kind of mentioned that you're into kind of blues and rockabilly and all that sort of stuff. You actually produced a track for Low Life Love, didn't you? I didn't. I put out a seven inch as well. And uh, 
I put them for sale ages ago, and then I forgot about about them. So I think I still have loads, loads, uh, loads in my in my drawer. But that that uh, band, the Tijeros, are are a fantastic, like female led two piece rhythm and rhythm and blues band in which the the, the woman who's this very cute little Japanese girl woman. But she she's a bit she looks a lot younger than she actually is. Uh, has got this incredibly husky voice, and uh, they are really big in Japan right now, actually. Um, and they we we had them made um, a, make make a song uh, originally for the film. We used one of their other songs as well. Um, and the drums on that uh, song is actually key. The, the lead actor from the film plays drums on this uh, this song, of which. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 actually the the lyrics are it as well. Like the A side is like um is is Key's character, and the B side is the female character played by Uchida Chika. So it's like a sort of it's like a two a, a two and throw a two and fro, the way that the tracks blend together. It's, so it's a it's a, a really really yeah nice um nice song. It's so Songs. cool. I was going to say if we can find um, a clip of that, I might put it in the uh, the podcast here so people can have a little listen. Oh, I've got the clips, and actually, Uchida made a music video for it, um, which is on YouTube. And Uchida Chika, the uh, the actress from from Low Life Love, is the star of the music video. So I'm sure if uh, it c- we can link to it uh, and and people can see the the video. Well, perfect. Well, look, um, I guess Adam will send me the clip, and I'll put it for you guys to listen to right here now.
しい汚れ腐っても美しい死にそうだけど死なないぜ流れ星を横目に行くのさこの心この体残らず悪魔に差し出そうたった一つの願いがもしも叶うならこの愛をこの愛を全て悪魔に差し出そう地獄の番犬って名付けて長生きしようかこの愛をこの愛を全て悪魔に差し出そう何も惜しくはないのさああお安いものよ長生きしようかThere you go. Awesome. Well, Adam, that was another really fun chat.、Um, <laughs> I really liked it.、Um, yeah, I guess we don't know. So, next month is December, right? So, we're almost at Christmas already.、Um, so, yeah, what, what are your big releases in, in December? Well, December is the Obayashi three film set,、uh, the anti war trilogy.、Uh, it's just,、uh, obviously one for the Film buffs, and you obviously need a lot of time because each film is, is nearly three hours long.、Uh, Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, very kind of emotionally heavy, you know, and they weigh on your mind a lot. They're not like some sort of throwaway films, are they? Yeah, they're, they're, they're tiring in a good way. I mean, they do make you think a lot afterwards, but yes, there's no way you can watch all three back to back, to be honest. You do need to sort of watch one and sit down and relax and then watch the others at a later date. Yeah, I haven't seen the first one yet.、Um, was it Blossoms? Casting、uh, Blossoms to the Sky. Thank you. That one. So that's definitely where I'm going to start. And then obviously re watching、uh, Seven Weeks and Hanagatami. And I'm definitely going to re watch Haosu as well. And I'll try and, I'll try and get my hands on a few of his other. Because he's had a, he had a very long career, didn't he? Yeah, and I'd actually tried to release,、uh, to license a lot of his older films.、Uh, Before I did these three, and I, I ran into a lot of problems with the distributor. And since I had put so much work in, I thought, well, let me go to, let me just release these instead for the, for the time being. But、um, actually, Labyrinth of Cinema, which is、uh, the last film he did before he died,、uh, is, has just been released、um, by Crescendo House, which are a new distributor in America, but the、uh, Blu ray is all region. And、uh, it's also available in the Terracotta store. So it's a very limited edition, nice. Steel book. So,、uh, for all collectors out there, I, I do、uh, recommend getting that as well. Awesome. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's it. I think、um, hopefully we'll be able to get together a bit sooner next time. And <laughs> we've kept it to about an hour and a half as well, which, you know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> I'm sure they're not all going to be this, this long. But yeah, it's been awesome, man. So, unless you have anything else you want to say, I'm, I'm pretty knackered, to be honest. <laughs> no, I can see. I can see. I was trying to wrap it up. You seem tired. Look, if you're not following Adam already, you can get him at Third Window on Twitter. And I think it's just Third Window Films on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, everywhere else, right? Yes. And I'm Benji Box. That's Benji Box with a Y.、Um, and yeah. 
I guess that's it. We will see you next time on the Third Window Films podcast. Two flights up by the third window from the right. Two flights up by the third window from the right. The third window from the right.